one of the things I love about traveling is I encounter people on the airplanes that are captive. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> Toward the end of the flight, I go back to the uh, restroom and there's a guy back there with a golf hat on. And so I say, are you a golfer? Yeah, I, I am. But I said, so were you over here on work? Or he goes, no, I was, I was actually over here um, visiting a friend. I'm a flight attendant, but I do love golf. So we start talking. Well, he gives me this kind of new ageist answer to what it means to know God. And then I start talking to him and I start sharing my story with him. And by the end of the conversation, he goes, man, I know why you were on this plane. I needed to hear this so bad. And, and, we, and we're talking, and as we're talking, and I mentioned the name Jesus one time, there's a lady who walks up, did you say Jesus? And I said, I did. I said, do you know him? And, uh, and, and she goes, I do. And so she joins in the conversation. Poor Austin got double teamed. <laughs> so we're both talking to Austin. She had just been over to a country in East Africa. My mind's blank where she was, but she's helping slaves and trafficked women in micro businesses so they can be empowered. But she's also sharing the gospel with them. So we're back there. There's five people waiting to get in the restroom that heard everything we were saying. So we not only were talking to Austin, but we were sharing with all those five people. Some of them not very comfortable. You know, they were just, and it wasn't because they had to go to the bathroom. They just didn't like the conversation we were having. But there is such a need in the world. And we've been given this treasure. I hope over the next few weeks that, that God would really remind you of what you've been given. Not to hoard, but to share well, we have uh, been in Matthew. We're kind of in the climax. We're in the, the last three chapters, guys. Can you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, we've been here for a long time. But really, this 26, 27, and 28 are the reason Jesus came to earth. He, he lays it all out. We are going to see um, the cross the glory of the cross, and Matthew breaks it up really into to four different phases. We see his arrest, we see the trial and execution and burial, and then we see the resurrection and his final instructions. We see, um, we see Jesus really, this is two days before he goes to the cross. And the way we got here, just to give you a quick recap, uh, we've been, we started in Matthew 21. So 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. We've, we've spent five chapters dealing with Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we're still on Wednesday. Wednesday, we've been dealing with for a few chapters of Passion Week. And we've got Passion Week coming up in a couple of weeks. But remember, Jesus arrived on Monday in uh, Jerusalem, going down from Bethany through uh, the Mount of Olives on a donkey down the Kidron Valley to the temple gate. The people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were, uh, they were laying down palm branches. They thought he was the one. And he turned around and went back to Bethany, came back on Tuesday, cursed the fig tree, remember? And then he turned the tables over in the temple. He turned the tables over in the temple and, and then left. Nobody said anything to him that we know of, but he left, went back to Bethany, comes back on Wednesday, 
They see the fig tree is wilted. He instructs his disciples. He goes into the temple and now he's teaching there because he didn't cleanse the whole thing, but he gave them a picture of what his view of what they were doing was. And so it was in a sense clean because he was there. And so he began to teach. And as he taught, remember, he basically taught them. He gave them, they said, Who, whose authority are you doing these things? Who are you teaching under whose authority? And, and so he told them a parable of two sons. And he told them a parable of tenants that had worked a vineyard that the owner had given them to work to bring the, the proceeds back to the vineyard owner. And they ended up killing his workers, his servants, and his son. And then he gave a parable of uh, a big wedding feast where the people that were invited refused to come. All three parables deal with rejection. And they dealt with his continued going back, saying, I want this with you. I want a relationship with you, but you keep rejecting me. Yet he kept coming, and it shows his mercy. And then on the heels of that, these leaders got so incensed, they asked him three questions to try to trap him. They asked him about paying tribute to Caesar, about the resurrection uh, of a man and, his, uh, and a, a wife, but it was the resurrection of the wife in, uh, when she would be in heaven, and she had married seven different men, brothers, because one died, then she married another, another. And the guy that asked it didn't even believe in resurrection because Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. But they were trying to trap him again. And then the last question was, which commandment is the greatest? They were, they were taking an argument between Hillel and Shammai over uh, which, which law is really the most important. And, and Jesus turned them all. Every attempt, he kept turning them. And the disciples were right there watching everything. They were watching him dismantle every argument, every question. They witnessed it all. And after the, the last one, then he proceeds to uh, curse the Pharisees. Well, he, he cursed them. And as he cursed them, he told them, guys, you need to beware of false teachers. And he laid out what a false teacher looks like. They're more focused on the external. They're more focused on power and influence. They're more focused on religion, not a relationship. And he laid out all these things in chapter 23. Then on the heels of that, he told the disciples, this temple's going to be taken away because the temple is not where you meet with God anymore. Now, because Jesus is here, you meet with God through him. And, and so he said the temple is going to be destroyed because it was never about a place. It was always about a relationship. And it had gotten twisted by those leaders. Well, then he goes into 24 and 25. And in chapters 24 and 25, the main point is be ready. He's coming back. He is coming back. And when he comes back, I mean, you know, before I go to uh, any place, whether I go overseas, um, I, I'll tell my daughters, you know what? Listen. If something happens to me, you need to understand two things. One, I really, really love you, and I'm proud of you. Two, if I don't come back, I hope to see you again. I keep following Jesus, and if you do that, we'll see each other again. And that's what I tell them. Now, Jesus, Jesus, you know, he, he always promised to come back. When I go to another country, I can't always promise that I'm going to come back. But Jesus knows he's coming back. 
And he told us in Matthew 24 and 25, I'm coming back. You need to be ready. And we looked at that acronym WAR, watchful, alert, and ready. And we really laid out what that meant. And then in 25, we saw that um, basically he's gonna, there's going to be a, uh, well, he gave five stories. Remember, he gave the story of Noah. He gave the master and the uh, house and the thief. And then he gave the uh, faithful and the unfaithful servant. Then he gave the, the, the bridesmaids or the virgins who five were wise, five wasn't. And then he, he did the talents. All of those stories were about being ready, not knowing when he's coming back. And then he gave what's going to happen when he returns in chapter 20. Uh, five, the last part, and that's what Dave covered last week. And basically, what the point of last week was is that Jesus is a king who, who's going to return for us. We don't have to question if he's going to return. He's going to return. And when he does, he's going to judge everybody and divide them into basically there's going to be two groups. Remember, there were the five wise and there were the five unwise. There was a faithful servant. There was an unfaithful. There's always this division of two. And no matter what race you are, no matter what socioeconomic group, every person in the world will be divided into one of only two groups when he comes back. And you're either going to be his or not his. Period. You're going to be in relationship with him or not in relationship. If you are in relationship, you are a sheep. If you're not, you're a goat. And what's interesting to me, and Dave, I don't know if you brought this out, but when you look at the difference between the sheep and the goats in that passage in Matthew 25, there was nothing about acts of immorality there. It wasn't what they did. It was what they didn't do. They did not love people because loving people is always the gauge for our love for God. And their self-love made them care more about themselves than the people that were in need around them. That struck me. It wasn't because they were living these vastly immoral lifestyles. It was because of the sheep were sheep because of their love for people. The goats were the goats demonstrated by their unlove for people. That's just striking to me. And so... The third thing that I saw about last week was we're all held to his standards, not Gil's standards, not David's standards, you know, not Tom's standards, Jesus' standards. And so you can be in tight with your pastor all day long, but he's not the one judging you. He may love you. He may like your personality. He may think you're a great guy. And he lets you slide because he doesn't want to say anything to confront you. My friend over there and I were talking about that. It's funny thing happens when you bring up sin to somebody who don't want to hear it. <laughs> Sometimes they just break off relationship with you. They don't like it. But Jesus, you know what? We should all want this accountability. That's why community is such an important part of SWAT to me. And the faith community we have to be able to look at somebody, Danny, and just like in a weight room, when you know somebody's doing something that's going to hurt their back, if they don't do it right, you walk over and you say, hey, buddy, listen, let me tell you something. If you lift it that way, you're going to hurt your back. Let me show you how to do it. That's called being loving to somebody, telling them the truth. Not letting them go on and continue down a road where they're going to get hurt. So 
this week, I find it interesting that after all the stuff on warnings are being ready, now he gives us three pictures in chapter 26 of what a, tr a true worshiper looks like, of what a false worshiper looks like, and what a true worshiper who's prideful looks like. Three pictures, three people in 26, 1 through 36. I said 1 through 30, but as I was looking at it, it really made more sense to go on and talk about his prediction of Peter's denial. And again, I'm just going to give you the three simple outline. God reveals to us what a true repentant worshiper looks like. A, a humble, repentant, true worshiper. And that's key. To, he lays out that, and we see that in Mary. Three characters. The second one is a prideful, unrepentant, false worshiper who walked with Jesus, who did things in Jesus' name, but they were a prideful, unrepentant, keyword unrepentant, false worshiper. And then third, we see Peter, a prideful, but repentant true worshiper. Now, for most of us, the ideal is to be Mary. Realistically, we're probably more like Peter, and hopefully we're not like Judas. But there's three distinct pictures of what a worshiper. Do you know you were created to worship? Every one of us were created to worship, and we worship something we worship something uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called counterfeit gods where he lays out in there idols that we tend to take up whether it's our job whether it's money whether it's our family we worship something and you know how you can tell what you worship by your checkbook and your calendar because the things that are important to you and you go well I'm not bowing down to it. I'm not talking about bowing down what do you value you worship you know, you value things. That's where your treasure is. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so, as we look at this passage, keep in mind those three pictures that he reveals. A humble, repentant, true worshiper. A prideful, unrepentant, false worshiper. And then a prideful, repentant, true worshiper. As we read it, let God speak to our hearts about what he wants us to do in light of this truth. So starting in verse 1 and 26, join with me as we read. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This is the fourth time that he's told them. We looked at the other three times uh, back in Matthew 16, verse 21, also Matthew 17, 22, and 23, also in chapter 20, verse 17. He said, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be resurrected. They still had not gotten it, but he's telling them again. This will be the last time he tells them. And he's telling them here that he's, you know, he's going to die. Now, Verse 3, Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. 
and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. You see, Jesus had a popular following. And there, here, here's what's going on. Jesus is sitting over here on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to die and be resurrected again. Not too far away in Caiaphas' house. I've been in Caiaphas' house. Brad's been in Caiaphas' house. Chuck's been in Caiaphas' house. Amos has been in Caiaphas' house. They were sitting up there plotting about killing him. At the same time that he was on the Mount of Olives telling them he's going to die. Who's in charge? Caiaphas or Jesus? See, it didn't come as a surprise. This is the fourth time he's been telling them. And, and so when I read that, it just struck me, his sovereignty in everything. In everything. He was not surprised in the least bit. And you know how that impacts us, guys? When something comes into your life that you don't expect, no matter what the outcome, he's still sovereign. <clears throat> I, 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 you know, this morning, my daughter has a stomach flu, Kate, and um, she's been hurting so bad. I got home, and she's the first, she is always the first one out the door to greet me, the first one to give me a hug. She's the most vivacious of all my girls at home, and she is full of life. She's just that girl, and she's always there, and I knew something was wrong because she didn't, she wasn't the first one out, and she's laying in bed, and she saw me, and she started crying. She had not cried, Lori said, till I got there. But when she saw me, she just started crying. And I just went over there and I said, what's wrong? And I talked to her. I put my hand on her head. I prayed for her. I couldn't fix her. She's been crying ever since I got home. I've seen her cry more in the last three days than she has her whole life. She's just not a crier. She is my tough child. She's the toughest child of all my children. I could drop her off in Afghanistan and she'd figure out how to get back and wouldn't blink. I took her to India. She never complained once. She dealt with all kinds of stuff. I've never seen the girl cry like this. And, and it just breaks my heart, but I can't fix it. I'm sitting there and I'm praying. It's not getting better. And it just made me think I have a friend who has a child that's got a, 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 a terminal illness. And it, I, I just, that's where my mind went. And I thought, but even in that, God's sovereign. And, and he's sovereign. And his sovereignty, guys, is something that should let us know, no matter what the enemy wants to do, he's in control. And we can trust that. Mary got that. Mary got that. And we're going to see in just a second. Yes, yeah, she was upset. She knew that he could resurrect Lazarus. And she was upset he was gone. But still, she didn't go away from Jesus. A lot of people let pain turn them away from Jesus when they encounter things that they feel like are out of their control. Not Mary. She came to his feet. And we see that in verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head. As he reclined at the table, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. It's about 
300 days wages worth of perfume right there. It's called spikenard. It was an ointment kind of thing like uh, that they would put on people to perfume them or make them clean. They put it on people as a burial uh, thing. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now, let me stop for a second. A lot of people take that and they say, well, that means we don't help out the poor. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he's referencing over in Deuteronomy where it makes that exact statement. And what it says is you will always have the poor and you need to take care of them. And what Jesus is saying to them is, I'm not telling you not to take care of the poor. What I'm saying is, this woman is honoring and worshiping me. And you need to take note of that. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Can you imagine the God of all the universe saying, Chuck, what you did today, everywhere the gospel is proclaimed, they're going to tell people about it. That, isn't that amazing? That he just said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, they're going to talk about this one act that this lady did. That's, this is a lady who worshipped the Lord. She worshipped him. She was humble. And you know how you know she was humble? Because women did not approach rabbis. They did not sit at a rabbi's feet. But every time you see Mary, and how do we know it's Mary? Because over in John chapter 12, it refers to this woman as Mary. Matthew doesn't because you know why? He doesn't want the focus to be on Mary. He wants the focus to be on Jesus. So he doesn't mention her name. But it's Mary. Three times Mary's mentioned. This is Mary, the brother, I mean the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. Martha. Three times Mary's mentioned in the Bible, this Mary. Every time you see her mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. This is a humble woman. It's a humble woman. She was humble, and she was obviously repentant. She knew where she needed to go. You know, the word repentant, we think it means sad for sin. Repentant means turning from being self-led to following Jesus. This woman, everywhere Jesus was, she wanted to be. And she didn't care that people thought it was scandalous that she would be so close to him. She didn't care. She didn't care what people thought. All she wanted was to get as much of Jesus as she could. She sought to know him better and to sit at his feet. Why is it so hard for us as guys to sit at his feet? I have a hard time. I'm just going to be really candid with you guys. I'm such an active guy. I would much rather go do a good deed for somebody than sit in a closet with my Bible and really just sit and spend an hour meditating and, and being in his presence. Because the, the, the personality part of me, the ADD part of me, wants to go do. It's hard. It's hard. And, and if we're not, if we're really honest, it's just hard for us to take that time to go in there because the enemy throws a lot of other distractions that are a lot more attractive. And we say, you know what, I'm just going to read my text today and I'm going to go and I'll pray in the car. Or I'm just going to go do this. But, but to sit 
and to sit at his feet. Just to sit at his feet. And so what we end up doing, instead of like Mary, bringing our best to him, she brought this alabaster thing. Was, it was a year's wage. And, and she didn't care. She just put it over him, over his head and over his feet. She brought her best. And I think a lot of times we bring God the crumbs. That's why I tell people. I had this pastor tell me one time, he was a good friend of mine, and he said, you know, Doug, I think doing, he, he's the one that made me, impacted me to do my devotions in the morning instead of in the afternoon. He said, in the afternoon, Doug, you've got so much stuff running through your head, it's so hard for you to focus, but first thing in the morning, if you make it a priority, he called it manna in the morning. Go spend time. Take, and you know, and it was funny because I, I used to do this thing, 151, one minute of praying, five minutes of reading, one minute, one minute of meditating, seven minutes. And that wasn't enough because when you start doing it, you start going, well, that really ain't enough time. And then when you start really interceding for people, it really adds time to your time. But just being honest, it's a struggle. But you know what we do when we have a struggle? We acknowledge it to him, and we're not comfortable with it continuing. We just say, God, I don't want to be like that. I want to spend time. Mary worshiped at his feet. She was humble. She gave her best. She was a humble, repentant, true worshiper. But what about the second character he introduces us to? Verse uh, 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? By the way, Judas was the one over in John, it says, who said, Why wasn't this sold? And it says he said that because he held the money bag and he often took from it. He could have cared less about the poor. He had one person that he lived for, and that was Judas. That was Judas. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Let me change that for us. Instead of the priest, Satan, what will you give me if I leave Jesus? That's what he's asking. What will you give me for leaving? And it says they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver. You know, that was the price if you killed accidentally somebody's slave. If you killed their servant, you had to pay 30 pieces of silver. It was also the price. Let's say a shepherd uh, lost your sheep and you fired that shepherd. You know what you gave him? If you rejected the shepherd, you gave him 30 pieces of silver. Back in Zechariah, it says that. What will you give me? And then he sought an opportunity to betray him. See, Judas was a prideful, unrepentant, false worshiper. He never really worshiped Jesus. He never did. He was always about Judas. But what's so insane about this is he was so good Nobody knew. Not one person knew who he was. They didn't know who he really was. Much like today, and you can see how it happens. How many times do you guys hear about people who 
or great people all of a sudden come crashing down when their real self comes out and it's seen. I was over there in Romania and the pastor from Houston asked me, have you ever heard of this guy named, I can't even remember the guy's last name. And I said, no, why? And he showed me. It was this guy who was the next Billy Graham doing crusades all over, big crowds, huge crowds. Apparently, he was sleeping with girls, young girls. But he would invite them to come back to his room so he could pray with them. And then he had sex with them. He said, God told me to do that. God told me to do that. Yeah, that's crazy. And you go, how can you believe it? But I've seen it. I've seen people fall victim to that kind of stuff. And they, their true colors come out. And you know why, why this guy told me about this? Because this guy was exposed. And instead of being repentant and broken, you know what he did? He put an Instagram picture of himself flipping off the person who exposed him. He threatened him. So you start to see who people really are when God removes the veil. Must have not read the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, sure, he certainly preached on it like he knew it for a long time. Thousands of people. And here's what's even more crazy is God will use those people to bring people to Christ. Even though those people are evil, he still gets the message through to some people through them. But it says, it says, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where would you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. What do you think Jesus felt when he said that? He knew. Just like in John 2, he said he didn't reveal himself because he knew their hearts. How could Judas be there and know that about him, but not know that he knows what he's doing? How could he see him raise people from the dead, calm a storm at sea, heal leprosy, heal blind people, do these incredibly supernatural things and think that he's going to pull one off on Jesus? The same way we think we can pull one off on Jesus. And they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Of course they would want to know. Is it me? Is it me? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. They all dipped the dish. That was what you did. So one, he's saying it's one of you here. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. But nobody else heard that. Judas heard that. Is it I? I'm sure Judas said it where everybody could hear it. But apparently Jesus didn't say it back so everybody can hear it because John and Peter were still having a discussion about it. And he did reveal it to John. 
It says in verse 26, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Judas sought position and influence. He worshipped himself. He's one of the most tragic figures in the Bible. And, and, and what Matthew does is he leaves us this picture of a guy that was so convincing nobody knew. But he knew. He knew. And then he takes us into the Lord's Supper. And I think it's interesting because you got to remember, this is the last Passover ever celebrated. Now, they've celebrated Passover since then. But the last Passover instituted by God that was supposed to be celebrated is right here. Because when Jesus celebrated this, he changed it. He changed the covenant. It was no longer the bread that reminded them of the manna and the, and the leaving Egypt, leaving sin. It was now the bread that is his body broken for us. And he didn't mean literally broken. There wasn't a, body, there wasn't a bone in his body broken. That fulfills scripture. He's talking about my body given for you. And so now the bread that they eat has a new meaning. And he's instituting a new remembrance, not the Passover that they'd always known. For 1,500 years they'd celebrated that Passover. It was the oldest tradition probably other than the Sabbath that they celebrated. But he changed it that night and said, from now on this bread is my body. Do it in remembrance of me. And then he said, the cup. And the cup he's talking about is the blood. And the blood had to be shed for sin to be forgiven. Jesus had to bleed. He didn't just die, he bled. There had to be blood. The blood is what showed the wicked consequence for sin. There always had to be a shedding of blood. It says without the shedding of blood in Hebrews, it's, it's impossible for the sin to be forgiven. And so that night, that cup became his blood. And so when we drink the, the cup and we take the bread, we are remembering his death until he comes back because that's what he's commanded us to do. And that's what he institutes. But he's reminding them, guys, you have forgiveness now. It's about a relationship. And you will do this and I will come back. So we see a humble, repentant, true worshiper, a prideful, unrepentant, false worshiper. And then he goes into the thing about that. But then verses 30 through 35. He shows us a prideful, repentant, true worshiper. And when they had sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. 
And all the disciples said the same. Do you know why Peter denied Christ? It wasn't fear. No. I mean, that was the acute response, but the reason he denied Christ was pride. You see, what he should have, his response to Jesus should have been, well, Lord, help me. How can I not do that? Why am I going to do that? That was not his response at all. His response was, uh-uh, they may all do it, but I'm not. You know what he was saying? I'm better than all them. I'm better than everybody else. They're, they may do it, but not me. He didn't ask how not to do it. He didn't ask why he would do it. He didn't ask anything except he just made a statement. It ain't going to happen. Now listen, when you tell God something that he says is going to happen, you tell him it ain't, that doesn't lead to good consequences. It never does. He's a prideful, repentant, true worshiper. He's a true worshiper, but he's just immature. And God is so patient, he keeps dealing. How many times has Peter been rebuked already? Let's see, let's just count them, just some of them, okay? He got rebuked when he said, uh, you are the Christ, and then he turns right around and says, that'll never happen to you when Jesus said he's going to be crucified. He said he was Satan. All right, that one ought to be a pretty big warning to him. But what else did he do? Let's see, kids were coming up to him, and he said, no, 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 you can't go. And Jesus rebuked him again. He was leading the disciples. You know, he was up front when they walked through Jericho. Bartimaeus screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And the disciples go, shut up. He doesn't have time for you. They may have been nicer, but they told him to be quiet. And again, Jesus said, no, come up here to Bartimaeus. And and here again, he tells him and he goes, not me, Lord. He doesn't ask him why. He doesn't ask him how to prevent it. Doesn't ask him anything. He just says, it'll never happen. And Jesus said, it is going to happen. And he says in another chapter, Satan has asked to sift you. And when you return, that's a key word, guys. When you blow it, you return to Christ because you have nowhere else to go. Remember what Peter said in John? He said, are you going to leave me too, Peter? Lord, where else do we have to go? You don't run away from him when you blow it. You come back to him and you receive his mercy. And when you come back to the cross, it has meaning to you and it humbles you. And you start to become more humble like Mary. Judas, his, Judas's life is a warning, guys, to us. It's a warning to anybody who pretends to follow Jesus, but whose hearts are far from him. It was always about relationship. Remember what he said? Why this waste? And who was the one who wasted the opportunity? Do you realize he walked with Jesus? He heard every question answered. Jesus was never at a loss for words. I, I, it, it would be like, Brad, could you imagine you were a golfer? Could you imagine having even, even a, a guy like a Tiger Woods or a Furyk or some of those guys? If you had one of those guys teaching you, they could be stumped at some point by situations. Jesus was never stumped. And they witnessed it for two years, yet they rejected him. He rejected him. Peter rejected him too that night, but it wasn't forever. It was temporary. 
And you know, you see this big gap. Peter's always the first one listed in the disciples. Judas always the last one. Peter's in heaven. Judas is in hell. Two, again, this image of two, two people. What's the difference between the two? Peter knew Jesus. Judas knew about Jesus. He never knew him. You know, I asked that young man on the plane, I said, what's the main message of the Bible? It's about knowing him. And I told him, I said, can I just share it with you? You guys have heard me share it before. It's that God created you and me to know him and to be dependent on him. To wake up every day with this acknowledgement that he is our creator and that our lives depend on him not only for provision but for guidance. And because we're selfish and self-led, we have broken that relationship to where we have no relationship with him. It's really not a relationship at all. We don't really communicate. We don't listen. We try to read his word. We don't understand it because we don't have the Holy Spirit illuminating it to us. And so God says that when we don't know him, we break his law. When we break his law, we deserve death. That's eternal punishment. That's, that's the worst pain you can ever imagine multiplied a thousand times, experienced with no help and no hope for eternity. But in his mercy, God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. But before he did, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He said, I'm going to die on a cross. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. Any person that places their faith in me, not in the act of me dying on the cross, but in me, who has faith in me, that person I will put my spirit in and they will become a new person on the inside. That spirit will mature and conform them to the image of Christ and they will follow me and I will never leave them or forsake them. And that's the gospel. And I told that guy on the plane, I said, you know what? You can pray this right now. I said, or you can go back to your seat. You can, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. If you were apologizing to your wife, I wouldn't tell you how to do that. And I'm not going to tell you how to apologize to God. But I will tell you this. All God wants is you to acknowledge that you need him and to acknowledge what Jesus did on that cross and that you want to receive that and you want to follow him. That's what he wants. And he just said, man, do you have a card? <laughs> and you know what he told me? He said he's going to use his miles, I think, to come down here. I think that's incredible. He said, I was on that plane for him. He recognized his need. And my prayer for Austin is that he would follow Jesus. But my prayer for us is, guys, we have a choice. I would love for us all to be merry in this story. That'd be great if we could be merry. But the reality is, most likely, we're probably more like Peter. Worst case, we're like Judas. My prayer is that we would all be and aspire to be Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, walking in his truth, walking in his truth, serving him. serving him. Yeah. But we saw last week, it's not serving him that makes us his. We serve him because we're his. And that's a key thing to remember. We serve him because we're his, guys. And so... As we close, let's just go to the Lord in prayer.